Please join me for a word of prayer as we remain standing. This is from our opening hymn, Lead on, O King Eternal, we follow not with fears, for gladness breaks the morning whenever thy face appears. So Lord, we ask that your face would appear, that we would know you and we would see you, and as we do, that gladness would break like the morning and that our fears would be dissipated. These things we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King. Maybe you're familiar with the book by Admiral William McRaven based on his uh, commencement speech to the University of Texas titled, Make Your Bed. Uh, it was a, a series of little uh, pithy pieces of advice that he compiled while serving in the military. He was, a, I think, a Navy SEAL. And one of the pieces of advice that he told this graduating class, if you want to change the world, make your bed. So. Uh, Again, these are all um, little pieces of advice that he gleaned from military career, and he apparently was in training as a Navy SEAL. And the ninth week of his training was called Hell Week. And one of the exceedingly unpleasant uh, occasions, which seems to be an entirely unpleasant uh, time, was the final week in which all of these trainees and uh, candidates were placed uh, for some imagined infraction, they were stuck in cold, mucky mud uh, for the entire night. So the sun was setting, uh, and because they did something wrong, all you guys get in the mud. And the person, uh, the instructor said, look, five people, ring the bell, and that's how you quit. Ring the bell, and five people, ring the bell, and everyone can get out of the cold, wet mud. And so here's where I pick up from a quote from... William McRaven, the mud consumed each man until there was nothing visible but our heads. The instructor told us we could all get out if five men would quit. If just five, we could get out of this oppressive cold muck. I looked around. It was apparent that some were about to give up. It was eight hours till the sun came up. Eight more hours of bone-chilling cold. The chattering teeth, the shivering moans were so loud you couldn't hear anything. And then one voice began to echo through the night. One voice raised in song, terribly out of tune, but sung with enthusiasm. And that one voice was joined by other voices, etc., uh, etc. Et and soon the mud didn't seem so cold, the night didn't seem so long. So the first chapter is, if you want to change the world, make your bed. Second chapter is, if you want to change the world, start singing when you're stuck up to your neck in mud. Sing when you're stuck up to your neck in mud. We're in Psalm 31. That'll be our passage for this morning. And the, song, the 31st Psalm is the psalm, the song, and these are songs. This was a song that Jesus sang when his neck was literally, he was up to his neck in mud. Uh, the final moments of his life. Jesus died on the cross, naked and alone and completely abandoned. But in his final moments were not a whimper, it was not a cry of defeat, but his final moments were a song of victory. And this is the song he sang, the, 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 a quote from Psalm 31. Into your hand I commend my soul. So that's the song that Jesus sang when he was literally stuck up to his neck in mud. And so we're studying the Psalms throughout the summer for a couple of reasons. The Psalms are beautiful, and we want to appreciate the beauty of the Psalms 
Into your hand, O oh Lord, I commend my soul. We want to appreciate the Psalms because they speak truth. They speak, they're true as well. And we we're studying the Psalms so that, like Jesus, these can be some of the songs that we sing when we are like him, stuck up to our neck in muds. So these will be some of the things that, that give us hope and give us assurance so we can sing a little bit like he sung. So, Psalm 31, that'll be our passage for this morning. We're going to take a look at this passage together. You can see some sermon notes in the back of your service leaflet. I think it's helpful. Long song, psalm, we didn't hear the entire uh, passage read. Uh, it's helpful just to take a step back and say, what is this psalm communicating? What's kind of the thesis statement? And here's what I suggest is the thesis statement of this psalm. It's a song of thankfulness for God's response to prayer of the embattled and beleaguered. So the psalm starts off with the author in some sort of stress. Uh, oh, God, help me. Uh, the enemies are all around me. Uh, and uh, God answers, and it's a, he concludes with a prayer of thanksgiving. Now, that, that plot of help, God answers, and then give, I give thanks to God is, is the basic plot of about 75% of the Psalms. This is a well-worn narrative in the book of Psalms. Help me, O oh God. The enemies are all around me. God helps and thank God for helping me. It's very common. As a matter of fact, it's so common, that same plot is, is repeated twice in this Psalm. In Psalm 31, so verses 1 through 10, you have this, same, this narrative of, I'm in trouble. Please help me. God help me. And the whole thing is repeated again in verse 11. Again, my life is worn with heaviness. Verse 11, my years with mourning. So he's back to where he was. He's in stress and again crying to God for help. And there's something reassuring in this repetition of, of the psalmist encountering stress and anxiety and difficulty. What stress, what anxiety, what difficulty, we don't know. But, and here's why it's reassuring, is because stress Anxiety, uh, worry, and fretting are common realities for all of us. And the potential to, um, to act, well, to not deal with our uh, stress and our anxiety uh, well is one of the common challenges of life. Therefore, the Psalms and in general, in the, in the Bible in general, in general, constantly return us to this problem of anxiety and stress. So that's the thesis of this psalm. The psalmist is in trouble, he's in stress, and now we're going to look at how the psalmist responds. What, how, do we, how are we supposed to respond to anxiety and stress, whatever that anxiety and stress may be? And I see two points that I want to explore with you. Take a look at verse 24. How, how, when you are in stress, anxiety, whatever, how should you and I respond? Look at verse 24. The author says, When I was afraid, I said in my haste, I am cast out of the sight of your eyes. And that's obviously not a true statement. God, he was not cast out of God's eyes. But in his haste, in his fear, this is what he said. And so the first step that you and I, the first lesson that you and I need to learn when we are in a state of anxiety or stress is that we're simply not at our best. Maybe you're familiar with the unsent letter of Abraham Lincoln. So the story goes that General Meade 
was the commander of the Union forces. And General Meade won uh, the battle at Gettysburg. He won against uh, General Lee. And Lee retreated, and General Meade, the commanding officer of the Union, didn't pursue Lee. And Lincoln was probably rightly of the opinion that Meade missed an opportunity, that if, Lee, if Meade had pursued Lee, he could have brought that Civil War to a, a final close right then and there. And so this is what he wrote. Lincoln wrote to Meade and said, I'm very, very grateful for the magnificent success, but I'm in such deep distress that I cannot help but voice some expression of my, of my distress. I have been oppressed nearly since the battle at Gettysburg by what appears to be evidence that you were not seeking a collision with the enemy, but instead you were trying to avoid another battle. Uh, so you hear the, the sense of, you had him. You could have ended this thing. You know when that letter was found? It was found when Abraham Lincoln died. It was stuck in his top drawer. And on the top of that letter was said, never signed, never sent. You see, Abraham Lincoln learned this principle. And it's not specific to the Christian faith. It's just a general principle of humanity that you and I, when we are under stress, when we are under anxiety, we simply don't see clearly. We simply don't act rationally. What's interesting about this psalm, Psalm 31, is that no one really knows the events that inspired it. What I mean is that most of the psalms, there are 150 psalms, and for most of the psalms, we're able to look at them and say, ah, we know where the author was. We know what they were doing when they wrote this. That's not the case for this psalm. So the psalm was written by King David, and King David had a very up and down life, but he never had a life that was just as down as what's described here. Look at some of the portions that we didn't read. Verse 11, it says, my life has grown old with heaviness. Verse 12, my strength has failed me. Verse 13, those who see me in the street shrink from me. Verse 14, I'm utterly forgotten. Verse 15, I hear the whispering of the multitudes. Fear is on every side. And so King David had his low points, but it was just never that low. And I wonder if in my fear, in my haste, he said, God is nowhere. In his fear, in his haste, he said, my enemies are everywhere. My life is worthless. Now, I'm sure that's exactly how David felt. I'm sure he felt like his enemies were everywhere. I'm sure he felt like God was nowhere. But the question that I wonder is, did his feelings, were they an accurate reflection of reality? And I wonder that because I know the same is true of me. When I am in stress, mountains become molehills. Big slights, small slights become big slights. And it does feel like my life is worthless, everyone's out to get me, God is nowhere. The feeling is accurate. The question is, is the reality an accurate reflection of reality? And so the first lesson that you and I need to learn when we're under stress, when we're under anxiety, is this, you are not at your best. Plain and simple, in my haste, in my fear, I came to a conclusion that was just wrong. So the first thing we do is we learn to doubt ourselves. 
Second thing we need to do is we need to learn to trust God. Sounds simple? Look at the verbiage that's used. God is my rock. God is my refuge. God is my castle. It's almost as if the psalmist envisions himself kind of being enveloped in God, like he's a... Uh, being guarded by God. There's a verse in the New Testament, Testament that says, uh, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything present your prayers and supplications and the peace of God will guard you. That seems to be what the psalmist is, is communicating. The peace of God is going to guard you. And I just want to think with you, how does that happen? That God is somehow, his peace will guard us. And I have an analogy I want to run by you. It comes from the world of counseling. Uh, it's something that I learned in seminary. And that is a counselor or a pastor when they're meeting with someone is, should have an atmosphere of a, a non-anxious presence. Right? So when you come to see a counselor or you come to see a pastor, what they should strive to, the atmosphere that you should feel is simply a lack of anxiety, a non-anxious presence. And that makes sense, doesn't it? And you can imagine how counterproductive it would be to go see a counselor and for, the counsel for you to say, you know, my life is falling apart, and the counselor to say, oh my gosh, your life is falling apart. Uh, that would just not help. And so the role of a counselor is to kind of absorb chaos and offer calm and offer hope. And you probably have had this experience. You've probably sat with a friend, and you've probably shared your anxieties and some of your stresses. And that friend, either implicitly or explicitly, just said, you know what? You're going to be fine. You're going to be make it. You're going to make it. And they, probably not thinking, they were a non-anxious presence. And you know what it does? It helps. It fortifies. It makes you feel like, hey, Maybe I can make it myself. So here's the question. What if you could be in the presence of someone that was not anxious about anything? Because any counselor you see is in some degree faking it. Like you come, tell them your life is falling apart, and the counselor should put on a good face, but under, probably underneath the, 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 underneath the surface was thinking, oh my goodness, that is serious. But what if you could be in the presence of someone who is not anxious about anything? Someone who is completely unconcerned with the future. Someone who had seen the worst and knows that the worst still ends up just fine. You know, I said that uh, Psalm 31, David never had it as bad as what's described in Psalm 31. But there's someone who did. There's someone who experienced what's described in Psalm 31. Someone who was abandoned by their friends, someone who was, uh, had enemies on every side, someone whom God cast out of their sight, and that someone was Jesus. That's what happened to Jesus on the cross. And on the cross, Jesus commended his soul, and God proved himself faithful and raised Jesus on the third day. And here's the thing. Jesus is not anxious about anything. He is alive. He is well, he is unconcerned, 
He is unconcerned uh, with the future. He knows how it ends. He knows that God is good. And what if you and I could be in his presence? What if you and I could kind of enter his presence like entering a, a castle or a fortress? You, you know what would happen? You and I would be strong. We'd be ready to face whatever challenges, whatever stresses are in front of us. So I want to conclude with just one question. How? So I've described what I think is being expressed here, that we would enter the presence of God who is not anxious, he is not troubled, and in doing so we'd be strong, made strong and fortified. So how? How can you and I make God our rock, our castle? Let me share a story. I have a buddy who is a pastor of a much larger church. Uh, his problems are much bigger. His causes of concern are much greater. And I was talking to my buddy. I said, so how do you do it? How do you, how do you kind of navigate the day? And this is what he said. And he wasn't reflecting on this psalm. He was just sharing, this is how I manage the stresses and anxiety of my life. He said this, I envision, I start each day in a word of prayer. And I envision all the stresses and all the struggles of my day down here at the bottom of a mountain. And I envision Jesus at the top of the mountain. And it takes me about a few minutes, but in my mind's eye, I make it up the mountain. And I just sit with the Lord. And we just spend some time together. And I look at the Lord, and you know what the Lord is doing? No, what's the Lord doing? He's just smiling. He's smiling, that type of smile that says, you know what? You're going to make it. Everything's going to be just fine. I've seen it all. I've got the whole world in my hands. And then, from on top of that perch, he looks down on the troubles and the stresses and the anxieties of his life. And you know how he feels? He feels like, yeah. Those are things I can manage. I feel strengthened for the burdens that are down there on that mountain. And I think that is the perfect picture of what's described here. You are my rock. You are my castle. You are my refuge. In taking refuge in you, I am strengthened for the day. Now, here's my suspicion that as I describe the sort of meditative act of 10 minutes in the morning of climbing up a mountain in your mind's eye to sit with the Lord, either sounds like hopeless mumbo jumbo, or it sounds like something for the spiritual elite. Like 10 minutes, who has that? Climbing up some mental image of a mountain, who can do that? But I think that is what is being conveyed here. And here's what I do know. You and I will always find some refuge to run to in our stress. You're going to find some way to manage it. You're going to run to the refuge of your own imagination. You're going to run to a stiff drink. You're going to find some refuge for your anxiety. Absolutely. What the Bible is telling us is that you and I find strength for the journey and finding strength in the journey through being in the presence of someone who is not anxious about anything. And there's only one person who is not anxious. There's only one person who is unconcerned about the future. There's only one person who has the whole world in his hands and knows that it all ends well. 
His name is Jesus. And you can be with him. Maybe not 10 minutes. Start with two. Start with one. But do what the psalm says in your moments of anxiety. When you feel trapped, when you feel stressed, oh God, be my rock, my refuge, my strong castle, and my fortress.